Bah, 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 bah. All I hear is ball, so I got a ball. All I do is win, but I had to fall the best part. Was getting up again, ball, ball, ball. All I hear is ball, so I got a ball. All I do is win, but I had to fall the best part. Was getting up again, waking up again, cause I was how with friends. We be Arctic in a frying pan. What's important, man? You want foil, man? Illuminate and then distorted, man. I'm submerging in, it's a fact. Off the bench from the west side, for the west side, high echelon. Serving them like restaurants. Hey, same, same. We are not the same. Same, same, 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 we are not the same. What it do, everybody? What's poppin'? Welcome back. Welcome. Thank you for joining me for yet another episode of, you know what it is, this is the ISO Podcast. We are up to episode number 28, and we got a lot of shit to talk about today, man. The NBA season might be coming back, might not be coming back. Um, the Last Dance documentary just concluded. Uh, the NBA draft, who knows if it might happen, if the season comes back. <laughs> just, I mean, they'll get drafted, but who knows when it's going to take place. It's just a whole lot of questions to be answered and a lot of shit to address, so... Um, once again, if this is your first time listening, thank you. I go by the name of Trey Crowder. I am your host, and I'll be guiding you along this basketball journey. Um, if you're not following me on Instagram and Twitter, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why? Like, come on. Do you really fuck with me? <laughs> no. But uh, go ahead and follow me at Twitter um, or Instagram. That's at HoopFacts, H-O-O-P, underscore, underscore, F-A-C-T-S. Again, that's H-O-O-P, underscore, underscore, F-A-C-T-S. And if you haven't already visited the HoopFacts website, Please drop what you're doing and go ahead and do so. Got a lot of content on there that's all prepared by me. I do all the writing. Um, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm busy, man. I'm working hard, and I'm doing it for y'all. So please go check that out when you get a chance. But um, aside from that, man, the world is in turmoil right now. America, America, let's just say that. America is fucking up. And we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, we're not going to turn a blind eye to that. Uh, and then just in terms of basketball, we got a lot of, a lot of, a lot of questions we need answers. So... We'll go ahead and jump right into the episode. We'll start with the birthday shout-outs. Um, Nick Young, Swaggy P, just turned 35 yesterday. Um, Swaggy P, I, don't, I think he retired. I don't know if he's retired yet. I just see him on Instagram <laughs> with his son just doing a whole bunch of wild shit. Um, I've seen him on a few podcasts, too. So if he's not hooping, he had a pretty, pretty fun career, made a whole lot of people laugh, had some big moments as well. But uh, shout-out to Nick Young. Anthony Tolliver also turned 35 yesterday. Um, if you're not familiar with him, journeyman in the NBA, but he can knock that shit down. He's a good shooter, uh, stretch four, uh, and he turned 35 as well. I always thought he was older. I feel like Anthony Tolliver has been 35 for like 10 years. <laughs> but uh, moving along, uh, Nate Robinson, over the weekend, he turned 36. Five foot nine, one of the best dunkers in NBA history. If you're not familiar with Nate Robinson, please go to YouTube and go check him out. Uh, you see him blocking Yao Ming. I, I remember probably one of the the biggest moments of his career in my mind, other than the dunk contest, because that's what he's known for. I recall when he was on the Chicago Bulls, and it was the first round of the playoffs, and I think they were playing against the Cavaliers or the Miami Heat. I know he's playing against LeBron. But um, 
I recall Nate Robinson giving them fits. <laughs> like, chase down blocks on LeBron, even though he's a foot taller. Uh, big threes, whole lot of scoring. He was doing his thing on the Chicago Bulls, and I, I that was like one of the better moments where I really seen him be like the focal point of an offense and was delivering on a consistent basis. So shout out to Nate Robinson. I also read something, too, a while ago that said that Nate Robinson probably could have made it to the NFL as a defensive back. That's how talented he was and just how much of a freak athlete he is. So happy birthday to Nate Robinson. Moving on to our next birthday shout out. I got Harrison Barnes. Um, won championships with the well, won championship with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, when and got the bag. Right now, I'll say his best years are probably behind him, even though he's only 28. But that's not to say he's like washed or anything like that. Harrison Barnes still gets you 15 points. Um, he's he's going to play within the Florida offense. He's not going to force much. He's a really solid plug-in player. He can play defense. Um, really good, really good player. But happy birthday to Harrison Barnes. Moving along, I got Jeremy Lamb. He just turned 28 as well. Um, if you're not familiar with him, he plays for the Indiana Pacers. Struggled with injuries this year, but um, he's coming off one of the better seasons of his career uh, with the Charlotte Hornets. Played really well last year, and he was playing really good this year. Just like I said, he was dealing with injuries. Um, but that's a tough Indiana team over there. They got a lot of guys who can knock down shots, play defense, and just overall help their team win. When you look at like Justin Holiday, Malcolm Brogdon, um, like I said, Jeremy Lamb, TJ Warren, they got a nice little team over there in the East. So uh, moving along to the last birthday, we got Billy Donovan, head coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder. They call Billy Donovan Billy the Kid, but he just turned 55, so his ass ain't much of a kid anymore. <laughs> but he's having a really good season uh, coaching Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, he's gotten kind of a bad rap just because he hasn't really had He's had some talented teams, and he hasn't made it out of the West yet. But the West is tough, man. You can't knock him for that because this year he's showing how well he can coach. Um, they lost Russell Westbrook. They lost Paul George. Uh, they acquired Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He's having an amazing season. They got Chris Paul running the show. Nobody thought this team would be this good, and they're comfortably in position to make the playoffs regardless of what the next step would be for the NBA if they resume the season. So um, happy birthday to all those guys once again. Nick Young, Anthony Tolliver, Nate Robinson, Harrison Barnes, Jeremy Lamb, and Billy Donovan. Happy birthday to all those fellas. So, so let's go ahead and move on to some NBA news. And this isn't even really NBA news. This is just what's going on in the U.S. right now. Um, the reason why uh, I want to talk about this is because I'm a black man and shit like this has been happening too much. Who knows? It could be somebody you know, somebody that is a close friend to you. Um, I'm talking about George Floyd, another unarmed black man who had his life taken by the hands of police officers over the weekend. Um, clearly was not a, a threat, but unfortunately, just the color of his skin led to him, you know, being killed by racist officers who were just filled with hate. You know what I mean? And it's just happened far too much and people are fed up. You know, you got and I don't want this to sound like something that's bashing cops because I don't I don't have an issue with police officers there are good police officers but there's also bad ones and I'm only referring to the bad ones same with protesters you have good protesters but you have people that are looting don't classify every protester fighting for the cause of black lives matter or for us to be seen as equal as negative because you have a few bad ones in a bunch but um just kind of a little backstory how I found out about you know this 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 murder you know this execution I was scrolling through Instagram and I follow Steven Jackson and I seen him posting in the morning talking about this is horrible news to wake up to. Um, one of his close friends was killed by the hands of police officers in Minneapolis. Um, and then shortly after that, I started seeing videos come out with this punk ass cop with his neck 
I mean, with his knee on the neck of a, a unarmed black man who's handcuffed, might I add. And even more than that, the whole reason why he's handcuffed is because the cops were called because he allegedly had a forged check or like a counterfeit bill. Regardless what the fuck it was, it shouldn't have resulted in his life being taken away over it. That just goes to show you how much black life is valued. 10 or $20, you know what I mean? He, you, you look at him as that much of a criminal to where even if he's handcuffed and he can't even harm you, you still want to take his life. This shit is just disgusting and it's nasty. And a lot of people are fed up. I'm fed up, man. This isn't the first time that this has happened. Shit, we just were talking about Ahmaud Arbery a few weeks ago. You know what I mean? And it just seems like we talk about it. People are mad. We forget about it. The next thing happens, we do the same thing. And it's like, this is enough. You know what I mean? Enough is enough. People are mad. People are taking action. People burning shit down now. And I understand it. I'm not saying that that's the way to do it, in my opinion. But I understand it. Eventually, if you're not heard enough and you feel like you're being ignored, you're going to do something to get the attention. And what other way to get people's attention to hit their pockets? i also like to take this time to say RIP to Deion Johnson. Um, this one hasn't received a lot of news coverage, but this happened right here in Phoenix, and that's where I am. So um, Deion Johnson, 28-year-old black man, was killed by a police officer. He was sleeping in his car. Let that sink in. He was sleeping in his car. Um, they said that the cops knocked on his window. Um, there was no body cam footage, of course, and he didn't have a weapon. Apparently, a struggle ensued. I don't even know how a struggle ensued if you were asleep, but that's what the story says. And next thing you know, a 28-year-old unarmed black man is dead. This just happened on Monday of last week. So this shit is not even getting national news coverage. We're talking about George Floyd now. Everybody is fed up. And those are, that's only one that we know about. You know what I mean? So of cases that we know about of unarmed black people dying, it's been hundreds. You know what I mean? So just think how many have been swept under the rug and... You know, I just I kind of went down a rabbit hole of just trying to like, you know, educate myself over the weekend, especially just the more education I feel like we have, the the more we could overcome and just unite as one. And I was watching Do the Right Thing and it was kind of crazy to me how similar it's crazy to me how similar, even though this movie took place in 1989, the plot of that movie, what happens is exactly what we're dealing with in 2020. Think about even my life. I was born in 1993. In 1992, the Rodney Rodney King riots that took place because cops had beat an unarmed black man. 2020, cops are killing an unarmed black man on camera. It's like, what more has to happen for people to open their eyes and see that racism still exists, people are still being oppressed, and people are still not treated fairly. So I'm pissed, man. I'm fed up. uh, And I'm just glad to see celebrities and, you know, people unifying and taking the time to just bring light to this uh to to this death you know what i mean because nobody wants nobody wants to see a close relative of theirs die let alone be killed for the color of their skin not even the the character but just cuz you have a darker skin complexion your life is taken away and that shit is just it, it it kills me man um but back to the do the right thing if you haven't seen it uh radio raheem at the end of the movie spoiler alert <laughs> it's an old ass movie y'all should have already seen it but um spoiler alert Radio Raheem gets into it with a white dude um, to make it simple. To make it simple, I'll fast forward it. Gets into it with the white guy. They start fighting. Um, cops come. They end up killing Radio Raheem, and the whole community just starts burning shit down. Very similar to what's going on right now. And it's like, eventually, if you keep ignoring people and you keep pushing them out, they're gonna react. 
I mean, this could have been far more easier if we would have just listened to Colin Kaepernick. And I'm not saying we as in like, you know what I mean, the people who listen to him, but the people who are ignoring him and making it like he was causing a problem. I bet you they'll more so prefer a, a kneeling protest now as opposed to the protest that people are doing now with burning shit down. And if they would have just listened and, and, you know what I mean, just try to understand where he was coming from by saying we have a serious problem in America, we probably wouldn't be here today. You know, now I've been seeing speculation that they want to sign Colin Kaepernick. Now is the time. Fuck that. That's not going to solve this issue. The issue now is to solve, get rid of the races. You need to hold these people accountable. Why aren't all the cops charged? And we have them on video. Seeing one of the video clips of them beating the shit out of George Floyd in the backseat of the car. So it's, it's just like... How much has to happen for change to, to come about? And it just gets discouraging after a while. And that's why I understand, you know, the, the measures that these people are taking to be heard. So um, I just want to just hope everybody is, is being safe out there, um, even cops included, you know, because like I said, every cop isn't bad. And some of them are letting people protest. Like my brother is in the, uh, the National Guard and he is out there on the front lines and he's saying that he's been passing out waters just trying to communicate with people just trying to make people feel comfortable and just feel safe you know what i mean and these are supposed to be the people that are, are looking out for us so one thing i wanted to say too this is probably what's been pissing me off the most just seeing these people trying to play fucking security to these businesses and you know the ones that are showing more compassion for these material buildings and these you know what I mean? These vehicles or whatever the case is being burnt down. I see people having more compassion for these businesses being burned down than the lives that are being taken. And that's bullshit. You, how can you be mad that these people are stealing? It's not your shit. And second of all, all these businesses aren't sure. So who gives a fuck? People are mad. People ain't been hurt. And this is the result of, of your actions. And the people who are, are really taking the time to, to try and play police and stop the looters, sit the fuck down. How about you try and understand what caused these people to be so mad and angry? So um, I, I just, I've, I've been furious about it, man. And it just sucks because this is probably not going to be the last case. I actually just seen a story yesterday from a, a gentleman from Louisville named uh, David McAtee. He's owned a famous barbecue spot in the area. And he was killed yesterday by police officers. So it's like, man, it, it can't be, it can't be all these black people dying and all these white people killing them, and it, it not be something there. Like we have to open our eyes and we have to use common sense, and we have to just try and figure out how to listen to each other to where we can find a solution to to just make shit better. Because if we keep trying to tell people that they don't deserve or they don't have a right to feel the way that they feel, and you're not listening to them, it's just gonna keep. It's like fighting fire with fire. You're not gonna get anything solved. You're just gonna keep getting more and more chaos. So. Um, I did see a couple NBA players standing up, um, Jalen Brown. I saw something that said he drove like 12 to 15 hours to go to Atlanta, where he's from, um, to march with, with protesters and a peaceful protest. Malcolm Brogdon was with him. I saw a rapper, Lil Yachty. Uh, Udonis Haslam was out protesting. Trey Young, Lonnie Walker IV, the Ball Brothers, Jordan Clarkson. I saw Enos Cantor, Marcus Smart. Like People are, 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 are using their platform to really, you know, educate people and I think a lot of times with these celebrities they they grow up in these communities you know what I mean they grow up in the urban communities they're used to being oppressed they just have superior athletic abilities so they were able to get out of their environment but that doesn't mean that they didn't come from that and they don't understand those people so I think a lot of the fans who look at entertainers as solely entertainers and not as people it's cool to now see these you know sports people these rappers 
um, to be out marching among the people just to show that I understand your struggle. Even though I'm not living in the environment that you are right now, I do understand what you're going through. And you know what I mean? It's valid. And it has to start from the top. Anytime change happens, it has to be from people who are not necessarily affected by it to, to speak up and say something because they're going to educate their peers who are not experiencing that to, you know, open their eyes and, and see that, you know, these people are being treated unfairly and that they are just humans just like me. And I need to, you know, I need to treat them as such. So um, I did see LeBron James posted something. He said, why does America, why doesn't America love us? Um, and I, I remember watching a old clip of what's that show called on FS1 with Jason Whitlock, uh, speak for yourself. And he was trying to say that LeBron doesn't experience racism because he was rich. And I thought that was the stupidest shit I've ever heard. Um, so, and, and not to mention LeBron had nigger wrote somebody spray painted nigger on LeBron's garage a few years back. So of course he deals with racism just because he has money doesn't mean he's exempt. The color of his skin is still the same. So to see guys like LeBron James say, why does not America love us? You know how many people admire LeBron that are probably oblivious to the black struggle, you know? So for him to say that, it kind of makes them, you know, at least want to try a little harder to understand just because they admire LeBron so much. And I appreciate him for, for always taking a stand and being a model citizen on issues like these. And uh, Michael Jordan even said something that was very surprising for me um, because Michael Jordan usually is not vocal on issues like these. Um, but right now, man, he, he put, he put out a, a really, really good statement um, just to kind of address this. And again, just kind of like with LeBron, when you see these basketball players that are larger than life, like Michael Jordan and LeBron James and, you know what I mean, Magic Johnson, ones like that that are speaking out, it's huge because their reach in terms of how many people they can get through to or how many people just admire them so much can go so much further than any other athlete or entertainer, you know. So I'll go ahead and read uh, the, the release that Michael Jordan put out um, like I said, because it, it was very necessary and I'm glad he did this. He said, I am deeply saddened, truly pained and plain angry. I see and feel everyone's pain, outrage and frustration. I stand with those who are calling out the ingrained racism and violence towards people of color in our country. We have had enough. I don't have the answers, but our collective voices show strength in the inability to be divided by others. We must listen to each other, show compassion and empathy and never turn our backs on senseless brutality. We need to continue Peacefully, peaceful expressions against injustice and demand accountability. Our unified voice needs to put pressure on our leaders to change our laws or else we need to use our vote to create systemic change. Every one of us needs to be a part of the solution and we must work together to ensure justice for all. My heart goes out to the family of George Floyd and to the countless others whose lives have been brutally and senselessly taken through acts of racism and justice. So you, you heard him say it, man, right from the goat himself. Enough is enough, man, and, and we're tired of it. We're not taking it anymore, and, you know, we're, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> Black people are not going anywhere. White people are not going anywhere. We just need to learn how to coexist with one another and just understand each other to where we won't have so much of a divide within the nation because we have to share the same earth. <laughs> you know what I mean? We have to be here together. So, um it could have been worse, you know what I mean? You you got people who are, are outraged and mad. They could have got physical like J.R. Smith. <laughs> J.R. Smith um, was caught on camera. He beat the shit out of somebody for um, breaking the window of his truck. He was sitting in the car, I guess, um, and one of these violent protesters, he claimed uh, it was in a residential neighborhood, like by his house, um, and the guy ran down and busted his window, and he said he chased him down and beat the shit out of him. Um, I like that he did go out and just say exactly what he did. He he 
posted it and said, before y'all try and get ahead of it and say this was a hate crime, it ain't nothing like that. He just did some stupid shit, and I had to make him feel it. So, J.R. Smith busts his ass. And, hey, I hopefully we can see more people doing shit like that to these dumbass protesters that are fucking up the cause. Like, um, what's his name? Uh, John Jones. He was another one of those guys. We seen him. I seen him take a, a spray paint can from some uh, protesters who was just spray painting shit. Because you do, like I said, you have some bad people in the bunch who are fucking up the message that we're trying to get across, that we're peaceful. We don't want no problems. We just want the killing to stop. And the people who are like that, that are messing up the cause, they need to be held accountable. So I, I didn't have any problem seeing him put, put his paws on them niggas. <laughs> but at the same time, man, I just want to see JR stay out of trouble and I want to see everybody stay safe. Uh, more NBA news. NBA legend Wes Unseld, um, he just passed away. Today, actually, at the age of 74, um, Wes Unsell was a Hall of Famer with the Washington Bullets. Um, he was named Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same season, and he also led Washington to a title in 1978. So, um, RIP to Wes Unsell, NBA legend, never be forgotten. Um, it's just, man, there's been a whole lot of death going on, and you just got to stay positive and keep pushing through. But we can't forget these, uh, forget our fallen soldiers, man. So, I just want to say RIP once again to George Floyd. RIP to Ahmaud Arbery, Trayvon Martin, Deion Johnson, pretty much anybody, any black person who has lost their lives due to senseless violence, whether it be from a police officer or just anybody who has hate in their heart, man. So um, I'll go ahead and uh, transition to some NCAA news, man, and just lighten up the mood. Um, just because, like I said, man, this shit has been weighing heavy on me, but we're going to have some fun today. We're going to make it lighthearted. Um, I'm gonna bring some joy into y'all, into y'all cars, houses, wherever y'all listening to the podcast. <laughs> we gonna we gonna bring it back full circle. So, um, NCAA news: Florida, Florida guard Andrew Nimhard has decided to withdraw his name from the 2020 NBA draft and instead enter the NCAA transfer portal. So, the six foot five point guard from Canada started all 67 games for Florida over the past two seasons, and he was also named to the SEC All Freshman Team after his uh, first year in college. Uh, this one, he just finished up his sophomore year. He averaged 11 points, uh, a little over five assists, uh, three rebounds in his sophomore campaign. He can play, but he just struggled with inconsistency. Um, I think it was a good idea for him not to keep his name in the draft. Even though this is a weak draft, I don't know if he would have gotten selected. So um, hopefully he can tighten up his game and transfer to a school where he can maximize his skill set. Uh, moving on to another uh, player who's withdrawn from the 2020 NBA draft, Clemson leading scorer Amir Sims. He has decided to withdraw. Um, and he will return to Clemson for a senior season. The six foot eight forward averaged 13 points and seven rebounds last year, and he was named third team All ACC. Um, and some more NCAA news: Nike has announced um, that it will cancel its 2020 Elite Youth Basketball League, otherwise known as EYBL, because uh, of the coronavirus. They put out a statement that says, as they continue to navigate uh, through the evolving impact of COVID-19, we are canceling the remainder of the 2020 EYBL season. Um, this was not a decision taken lightly, but the health and safety of our athletes, families, fans, and employees is our top priority. We look forward to bringing the EYBL back in 2021. If you're not familiar, the EYBL is considered the best, pretty much the best basketball circuit for prep basketball players. Um, it features hundreds of the nation's top basketball players and is spread out among 40 teams. And in most years, the circuit has four regular season games or four regular season events in April and it culminates with the Peace Jam in July. So won't get to see some of the top high school players play um, in the EYBL, but we just got to wait till the season rolls around. Hopefully the coronavirus doesn't trickle into 2021. And last story I have is um, we got a big man that's classifying into the class of 2020. 
Musa Cease. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Musa Cease, I believe his name is. Um, five-star center. He is. He was originally supposed to be a junior this year, and he was getting ready for a senior season. But um, he reclassified, so now he is um, going to enter the NCAA. He's down to, like, five schools. I see some stuff that said he might attend LSU. Um, but he's a rim protector, and I think wherever he goes, he's going to make a huge impact, and he'll more than likely probably be a lottery pick next year. So whenever you see players reclassify, it's always worth noting because it's a reason why they do it. They, they feel like they can get a jump start and they can get into the league faster. They can make an impact. So I'm all for it, man. Um, so let's go ahead and move on to these topics. I'll go ahead and introduce them before we get into the episode. Uh, first topic we're going to get into is the NBA. NBA is set to return. Um, well, it may be set to return. We'll talk about that, see what the speculation is and when the time frame is going to be. Um, and quarter number two, we'll talk about The Last Dance. Final thoughts from The Last Dance documentary. I enjoyed it thoroughly, um, but we'll talk a little bit more about that in depth. And then after halftime, we'll look at a new list. Um, we, we love lists on this show. <laughs> Always talking about lists when, when these websites put them out just to analyze it. But ESPN put out an all-time list, top 74 players. So we'll break that down. And then in the final quarter of this episode, we will talk about the five biggest sleepers in the 2020 NBA draft. So it's a lot of names that go into the draft every year, but there are always guys that kind of surprise. Like Donovan Mitchell, his first year, he went crazy. Nobody knew he was going to burst onto the scene like that. Um, so just looking for the next sleeper, just trying to get a head start out, educate you guys on who I think will be the next sleeper. Um, and then we'll get out of here with the ISO spotlight zone. So thank you guys for sticking around. We'll go ahead and jump into the episode. And I just thank you guys for riding along with me. And thank you for listening to the ISO podcast, the number one podcast for true basketball fans. Let's get it. It's time to tip off the first quarter. And I'm excited because basketball is back, you guys. Probably. <laughs> we still got to wait and see what happens. Um, the NBA Board of Governors did meet this past Friday to discuss a plan that would allow teams to resume the 2019-2020 NBA season. And according to multiple reports, it's likely that the NBA season will be completed. So we've been without basketball now since March 11th. So that's roughly three months with no NBA action, no college basketball. Like, all we've had is the shit that they've been putting on TV, like uh, 2K tournaments and horse and just the own... My own 2K that I got in the house has been entertaining me, giving me my basketball fix. So we need it, man. Um, and especially if you're just a fan of basketball, of course, you 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 don't like to leave any stone unturned in terms of just the season. Like, who was going to win? You know what I mean? The Lakers were picking up a lot of steam towards the end of the season. Would that have manifested into a championship? Of course, we want to see that story end. So everybody, for the most part, that I've been seeing in the league is is on board with the season starting back. But it's not that easy because of the coronavirus, of course. So the pandemic has caused everything to kind of take a stop. Uh, the world was shut down a few weeks ago. And honestly, I didn't think the season was coming back. I'm still a little skeptical just because there's a lot of unknowns. We don't know the ramifications of this virus down the road. We don't know a lot about it. You know, there's, there's too many unknowns, in my opinion. But obviously, when money is being lost and millions of dollars are being left on the table, you know, you got to figure something out. So these organizations are going to do whatever they can to attempt to salvage the season if it is possible. So um, I think that if the if the season does start back, it, it's going to be interesting. This would be something like we've never seen before. This is not even like the lockout season. This is just completely different, you know, because 
um, the locations. They won't be able to travel like that. Um, and shit, according to not just the virus, protesting is going on. So it, it's just a lot of a lot of shit going on in the world to where I don't know if basketball is the the main priority right now. But if it comes back on, maybe that can lift the spirits of some people. <laughs> but anyway, um, if they make the decision, it's not going to be too much longer. Uh, they're supposed to meet on Thursday to, to vote and make the decision. Uh, so we'll, we should be, be hearing something pretty soon. There has been some discussions about a potential 22-team format that would include like a few regular season games just to get them back in the, into the whip of things, uh, whip them back into shape, I mean, followed by a play-in tournament for a playoff berth in both conferences. So I, I kind of like that idea. I mean, it's different. So I don't, I don't see this being – I know it's not going to be a regular season picking back up where it left off. And even if it's just at one location, I know they can't continue the regular season just because of the time frame. You got the draft that's supposed to take place at the end of the month normally. Uh, summer league is going to be skipped. Like, everything is going to be moved. So if they do do something, it kind of has to be a condensed version to kind of accelerate the process just so you can crown a champion and move on with the next season. So they said the games are expected to take place at the Disney's ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex. And that's located in Orlando, Florida, and they're targeting the date for July 31st. So you still got a while to go, even if they make the decision to, to continue the season. July 31st is damn near August. So I'm curious to see how that will work. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because around that time is usually when they're starting to gear up for the next season. So I think they should just scrap this season. Just me personally, I'll go ahead and say it now <laughs> just to save the suspense. But they're trying to make it work. Um, in order for this to happen, uh, the league will need three-fourths majority owners to vote and approve a return to pay plan. Um, and like I said, they're expected to vote on Thursday. The players and most of the personnel around the league, from what I've seen, are on board with whatever the plan is, as long as the season resumes. Um, but there are a few people that have kind of like spoken out and, and just expressed their, their opinion just on how they would like things to go. Um, as far as players, Damian Lillard said, he isn't playing if there's no opportunity for his team to make the playoffs. And I understand that. Why put unnecessary mileage on your body um, when you could just get ready for next season? And, you know, what I mean, he's playing the best basketball he's played of his entire career. So he doesn't want to waste any, like I said, mileage on his body just for the fuck of it. So um, I think that was big for him to say that, though, because Dame is elite, uh, top two, three point guard in the league. Um, and people want to see him play. So I think by him saying stuff like that, kind of getting out ahead of it makes the, the league try to at least consider where he's coming from because when your star players speak up, if it's any commissioner that's going to listen to the star players, it's Adam Silver, and I think everybody knows that. So by Dame saying that, um, I think they, they have to consider it, you know what I mean, because you don't want one of your star players like that just sitting out and not playing games, especially with all the money that's been left on the table. Um, you you want to have all the best players on the court because you're not even going to have any fans in the crowd. So if they're going to be watching from home, you know, you, you definitely want these people to be satisfied because they have a lot of different options at home. They could turn this off. They could turn on a TV show. They could turn on whatever they want to. But when they're at the game, regardless of if it's a player being sat for low management, they've already paid for their ticket, so they have to stay. So this is a little different in that instance. Um, but like I said, I think it was big, especially because his team is fighting for a playoff spot. So if the format is up in the air and they don't even know what the format is going to be, it's pretty cool that he got out and said that because now they may consider him to try and include him into whatever format they decide to do. Um, 
I just, like I said, I think the league is considering how they can make this happen in the most entertaining fashion possible, especially because it's going to be no fans there. So you got to have Dame on the court. Um, and what are the Portland Trailblazers without Dame? Shit, they're fighting for a playoff spot with Dame. So <laughs> they need him on the court. Uh, and then OKC Thunder owner Clay Bennett. He isn't on board with the 22-team format, um, and he has the support of a few other owners as well, and I completely understand his perspective. Uh, He's lobbying for all 30 teams to return in Orlando just because he's a small market team. OKC, the OKC Thunder is a small market team, and that's why he has the support of other small market teams because they're saying they're not able to take that financial hit of not being able to continue basketball for this season and then wait for the next season, like, that is a lot of time off with no basketball being played. And they just they, the financial hit would be devastating for their organization is what they're saying. But um, I can see it. You know what I mean? If I don't I don't I don't see why it would make sense to bring all 30 teams back. Like Clay Bennett is it's cool that he's speaking out for the small market teams, but whatever format they come up with, he's gonna be playing. Like, the OKC Thunder were a pretty good team. They had a really good record. So he's going to be in the mix. His team is going to be in the mix regardless. So I think this is him more so just knowing the how hard it is for a small market team to thrive and to, you know what I mean, operate, especially during the space now. So I think this is just him trying to, like, again, do the Damian Lillard thing. Get out, make your voice heard so when they're coming up with decisions, your, your um, perspective will be considered at least. Uh, But like I said, he's lobbying for all 30 teams to play. Uh, I really don't think that's a smart idea because if the issue is, you know, social distancing and you want to have, you want to limit the amount of people that you have in a, I guess, specific vicinity, why bring all 30 teams? Like, I feel like 22 is kind of pushing it, to be honest. But 30 teams, the Hawks season is done. (laughs) As much as I love Trey Young and... How much he does for my fantasy team, their season is done. The Knicks are done. Uh, Cleveland is done. Detroit is done. Like, you don't need all 30 teams. If anything, they're just going to be tune-up games for some of the top squads, especially when you consider how long they've been out of action. So these are already bad teams, and then you take them away for an extended period of time, and you expect them to come back. Like, they can't make the playoffs unless you do it like an NCAA tournament-type format, which I don't see them doing because – that, that would kind of be crazy. Imagine the Knicks just having a good game and they fuck around and beat the Boston Celtics in a first-round series because this is one game. Like, nobody would be cool with that. I think NBA fans are a little bit different from college fans in the sense of, like, NBA fans do want to see the best team win. I think in college, it's more so you, you want to see what the name is, March Madness. You want to see upsets. I don't think people really want to see upsets in the NBA because, for one that doesn't prove you're the best team. And once you move to the next round, if you lose, now you just took out one of the most entertaining and best teams for what? It's kind of like with that that uh, Dallas Mavericks series with the Golden State Warriors. They beat that Dallas Mavericks in the first round, but the Dallas Mavericks probably could have went further in the playoffs than they could have. Now, that situation was a little different because that was an entertaining-ass team. Baron Davis, Steven Jackson, you had a squad over there, and a lot of people was rooting for them because that team has been they, – they're usually bad, the Golden State Warriors prior to. So I understand that, but again, it's I just don't know how much sense it will make to bring non-playoff teams back into action with them not having much to play for in a condensed season. Like the Minnesota Timberwolves can just call it a, a, a wrap. <laughs> like, that's one of the shittiest teams in the league. They've had a horrible season. Let them stay at home. Let them figure it out and get ready for the next season to suit up. So um, 
I think the most I think the way you can get the most out of your product is to make all the money back that's been lost. Find a way to make the whatever format you do competitive. We've seen that with the All-Star game. Uh, the All-Star game was really competitive with the new format. So I don't think that the NBA has a hard time figuring out something to make it competitive because that was kind of proof in the pudding. So if they can do something kind of like that, that shit would be dope. Um, I just want to see that kind of playoff intensity on the court and whatever way you can make that happen, whether it be playing games or whatever the case may be, I, I think that's the way that you can get the most people tuned in. But I also question the validity of the champion who wins this year. Like I told my boy, uh, RJ, whoever wins this year is not going to be looked at as a true champion. It's going to be an asterisk next to this champion this year. Kind of like last year, People feel that way about the Toronto Raptors, and it's fucked up because they just won, but the Warriors were hurt. We know if Kevin Durant played, it probably wouldn't have went a different way, but that's injuries are part of the game. So I don't think that should be the case, but I don't think people will look at it the same way. I'll give you an example as to why I feel this way. So to win an NBA championship is hard. Not only do you have to go through a long 82-game season, you still got to win 16 playoff games. And a lot of times when players get to and teams, once they make it to the finals, they're banged up. Shit, the playoffs in general, once you make it to the playoffs, everybody is, is in, everybody has injuries. You're just playing through them at that point. Everybody is banged up. You wait till the offseason to really recover. So in this instance, you've essentially had three months to kind of recover, get your mind right. And no champion has ever been afforded the luxury in the past to get a break in the middle of the season. So I can see people taking that angle in terms of trying to say that that championship isn't legit. And then another reason why people would probably say the championship isn't legit is because it's going to be played on a neutral site. So a lot of times when you're on the road in the playoffs, like I've seen it really take effect with, what was the team that just has like, with us, the Denver Nuggets. That's one of our biggest strengths, our home court advantage. Playing Denver, you know what I mean, the mile high, uh, the altitude, a lot of teams, if you aren't conditioned, you're not, you're not able to sustain a whole playoff series and come out on top because the conditioning isn't good. And being at the altitude is so high, it's kind of harder for you to get adjusted if you're an away team. So being that we're going to be playing at a neutral site in Orlando, it's like, well, the home court advantage isn't there. So it really just comes down to who are the better players. There's no, there's no uh, fans there. So it's a lot of different factors that influence the game that are being taken out of this. So it's like, can you really count that as a real championship? Like I said, I don't look at it that way, but I can see how people can take that angle to kind of, you know, discredit the champion who wins this year just because it's unlike any year we have ever seen. But again, it's basketball, and if it's on TV, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> and I just want to see some action, man, because we've been without sports for a while, um, and basketball is, of course, my favorite sport. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But all in all, like I said, I don't think the season is still going to resume. I'm a bit skeptical. Um, even when you look at, yeah, everybody wants to play, everybody wants to resume, but is it realistic that everybody can come back? And if everybody can't come back, is that something that everyone is going to be on board with? I can't see that being the case. So, um, we just got to sit back and wait, uh, Thursday, they make the decision. And like I say, even if they do, uh, agree to bring the season back, it won't happen to July 31st, which is essentially August. So I, I don't, I don't see how it can happen time frame wise but everybody wants the season to to finish in the NBA and of course when you look at guys like LeBron you don't 
you're in year 17, so he doesn't want to waste this year. He wants to finish it with his team playing the best basketball before the pandemic. He probably feels like they were going to win the championship. So I'm going to watch. I'm going to be tuned in. Um, I'll be posting on my social media sites just to kind of keep everybody engaged, giving uh, updates uh, throughout the week. But um, we just got to sit back and wait and see what's going to happen. So let's go ahead and move on to quarter number two. And we are talking about MJ and the Bulls, the last dance, you guys. Let's talk about it. Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls were dominant in the 90s, and we got a chance to take a look at just how dominant they were in the Last Dance documentary that aired on ESPN, episodes 1 through 10. I enjoyed every single bit of it, um, and we're going to talk about, you know, what I learned from it, um, some of my key takeaways from the documentary, and just uh, some of the the funny moments from it. So uh, first and foremost, if you're not following me on Instagram and Twitter, Quit bullshitting and come join the home team. That is at HoopFacts, H-O-O-P underscore underscore F-A-C-T-S. Again, that's H-O-O-P underscore underscore F-A-C-T-S. And if you haven't visited the HoopFacts website, please go ahead and check that out. That is www.hoopfacts.com. Again, that's www.hoopfacts.com. So the Last Dance documentary, man, it was it was great. Um, I think... For me, the second half of, so I say episodes five through 10 were probably my favorite parts. Um, The beginning was was dope, but of course they get to the meat of it in like the second half of the series. Um, They talked about a lot of things that I didn't know if they would go into. They talked about the gambling. They talked about um, the murder of his father, rest in peace. Um, They talk about a lot of things in Michael Jordan's upbringing that kind of helps you understand why he is the way he is and why he goes so hard and why he is just motivated to prove everybody wrong. Michael Jordan is had the hugest chip on the shoulder. That's something that I, I personally didn't know. Like, I knew Michael Jordan was a hooper, but I didn't know he always felt like he was slighted in every single way. Um, that was one of the biggest things I took away from this. Michael Jordan constantly made up stories to motivate himself. <laughs> like, if you didn't give him a reason to destroy you, he would make one up. Like, the, the funniest story to me was that one where uh, one of the guys was playing him. I forgot his name, but... He had a good game, and allegedly after the game, he told Mike, hey, good game, Mike. (laughs) And that just ticked Mike off, and he came back and bust his ass in the very next game, and then it came out that the guy never even said that. (laughs) It was just Michael Jordan making up some shit to motivate him, man. It kind of made me just start making jokes and shit and just start questioning, did he really have a flu? And it's funny because he didn't. He actually had food poisoning. So um, just, you know, those background stories were, were funny. They added fun to the documentary. And just um, one of the things I liked is just the shit that I didn't know about. Like, I didn't know that they held the Jazz to a record low 54 points in Game 3 of the 98 Finals. Like, to think about how monumental that was for a team that had Carl Malone and John Stockton and you held them to 54 total points, like, that's fucking crazy. Um, And just the, the six championships in eight years. Like, no team has ever been that dominant over that long of a span. Like, we've seen really good teams, but... Six out of eight years for him to leave and come back and still show. Uh, He even said in the, I think it was the last episode or the episode before, he said they can't win until we quit. And it was legit. You know what I mean? Like that was exactly what it was. And it sounds crazy, but he really, really knocked off every single big dog in his era. Uh, Bird, Magic, Isaiah, Malone, Drexler, Reggie, Ewan, Gary Payton, like just to name a few. He knocked them all off. And they always say it. You know what I mean? A lot of great players didn't get championships because they played in the, the MJ era. Charles Barkley is another one. So 
I've always heard it, but I, I didn't really get to see it. You know, now I have a visual to put with it. I've seen highlights, but that's not the same as hearing, you know, interviews between the players that were involved and just watching game by game how how the the momentum shifted. You know what I mean? So it was pretty cool to see it in that instance. Um, I think they did an excellent job at capturing the feel of the era during the dynasty. Like, I felt like I was alone for the ride. I was born in 1993. So, again, I didn't watch the Bulls during this dynasty growing up. But I think this documentary did an excellent job at depicting just how much of rock stars that the Bulls were during that time. Like, they were on top of the world. And despite having no social media, their impact was global. Um, You saw in that episode when they went overseas um, with the Dream Team and just seeing how many people were aware of who they were, although they played in Chicago. Like, it it was great to see that. Um, But like I said, just the music, um, the the clothing that I seen them wearing, just like everything. I just felt like I was in the 90s. It was dope. Um, And then, of course, I love the individual perspectives from opposing players and teammates. Like, I like seeing them reflect on conversations that took place behind the scenes, kind of like that one um, that I just spoke about. Uh, Another one with B.J. Armstrong. I knew... I I knew he played with MJ, but I didn't know he played on the Hornets and faced them in the playoffs. And I didn't know he had a good-ass game against MJ. He went off, hit the game winner and all. And that led to them getting destroyed because he gave him motivation. It's kind of fucked up. It's like, do I play Michael Jordan and get my ass bust, or do I bust his ass and then he comes back even stronger? Like, it's a lose-lose, and that kind of just shows you how great he was. He had another level he could always take it to where nobody else can get that high. Um, so I, I, I like that. Of course, the battles of Reggie Miller, um, just seeing how they went back and forth, how Reggie Miller felt about him. Reggie Miller wasn't scared. He went at him. Um, but uh, still, it wasn't enough <laughs> because when you go at Jordan, he's going to go at you 10 times harder. Um, and then one of the funnier stories was the one with Tony Kukoc when he didn't even know <laughs> that Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan wanted to smoke with him. And they came out and just put the clamps on him in the in the uh in the the Olympics. But to see him eventually joining that team and to show that, you know, he was a pivotal part of their their championship dynasty, like it was cool to see it all culminate in, you know, a, a good relationship between them. So as well, I, I I those are the positives. I'll talk about some of the negatives. And it's not a lot of negatives from this because I think it was just a great documentary again. Um as well put together as this documentary was I do believe it may have ultimately damaged the legacy of Michael Jordan and the Bulls, though. Not by a lot, just by a little, and I'll explain. So for people like myself who didn't grow up watching this dynasty, all you had to go off of was what people said. And if you go off of what the old head said, you would have think MJ walked on water. You would have think Scottie Pippen fed (laughs) a thousand people with one loaf of bread. Like, they talk about them in a biblical manner, you know what I mean? So I think... um, with them always being talked about in this kind of supernatural aura, you would have never imagined that Dennis Rodman viewed basketball as like a hobby. Watching that shit, that's how I took it. I didn't, I didn't think Dennis Rodman put basketball first. I just think once he got on the court, he was able to focus and lock in, and he was just that good at what he did. But he, he was whenever <laughs> – how do you go to a WWE event during the finals? Like – Imagine hearing Stephen A. Smith on first take if Draymond Green skipped practice to go to a UFC fight, (laughs) to participate in a UFC fight, not even to go to one, to participate. Like, that was the shit that I would have never known had I not watched that documentary. And just 
it was cool that Phil Jackson had that relationship to allow him to do that. But even if that's the case nowadays, the media would always paint it to be something, you know what I mean, as if it's a negative to the team, just like they tried to do then. They tried to make it Dennis Rodman uh, be like a cancer to say that, you know, he's throwing off the focus of their team. But it just was a different era. But just seeing that and comparing it to today is like, wow, that's crazy. And then we always hear about how MJ was like the ultimate killer. He never passed the ball. Leave it to Skip Bayless. He made every single game winner that he took. Um, and they just talk about how he never passed up an opportunity to close a game. And you always hear that as the biggest knock on LeBron because LeBron is, you know, he's going to make the right play all the time. But I actually think in watching this, MJ made the right play all the time too. It's just a lot of the times when he took the shot, he knew he can get the shot that he wanted. And the right basketball play sometimes was him passing the ball to Steve Kerr or John Paxson. The only difference is they knocked the shot down, so it's a different story. If they don't make those shots, the legacy is different. But he missed shots down the stretch a few times, too, and they showed that in a documentary. And there's nothing bad about that. Like, people miss shots. But like I said, people just make it like MJ is more than human. And if you didn't watch him during the 90s, like, you can't speak on it. So it was cool to see that. Uh, and then old heads. Old heads, old heads, always talking about low management, how they hate low management and how the new generation is soft because back in the day, everybody played through injury. I seen Scottie Pippen sit out a playoff game in the Eastern Conference Finals because he had a migraine. Now, I'm not saying I would play through a migraine, <laughs> but if they're talking about their era was as tough and, you know, everybody played through injury, like I seen Scottie Pippen sit out a couple games on there and that's probably why he felt like um, he, I, I read something that said he was a little um, disappointed with how he was portrayed in the documentary. I don't think he was portrayed bad, like just watching it. Because even in the end, like the last thing you remember on the last episode is him playing through injury. So there were times where he sat out, but on the last dance, when it was their last go round in 98 against the Utah Jazz, he gave it his all. They were doing something I haven't seen before. He, his back has stiffened up. He was basically just a decoy. They were bringing him in, taking him out, bringing him in, taking him out. And I've seen substitutions like that, but never with somebody that's injured. They either just leave him in or they take him out. So I felt like they portrayed him as a warrior. And even Michael Jordan says there is no Michael Jordan without Scottie Pippen. So I don't know what he could have been mad about. But um, again, Scottie Pippen was one of the most versatile players in the league. And I don't think he got the credit he deserved until now. I feel like that documentary shows that a lot of people may not have known that he was a top five player in the league at that time. Like when you hear Scottie Pippen, oftentimes you kind of just think of him as like the sidekick to Jordan. But with him, you know what I mean, being considered a top five player and them telling you in that documentary how nice he was, I think um, if anything, it, it could have helped his his legacy, uh, I'll say. But um, all in all, MJ is the GOAT. Uh, you don't have no gripes from me. I always say I think LeBron will ultimately be the GOAT, but as of right now, as of today, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? What is today? June 2nd, 2020, MJ is the GOAT, um, and he will be for the foreseeable future. I just think he's the most resilient player ever, and his career was like a fairy tale. Like, his story and his journey to the top makes it hard for you to root against him. You can't take anything away from what Mike did when it came to his production on the floor. He gave it his all. In every game, he found a way to persevere time and time again. And I just think that if he was playing in today's NBA, it would be scary. <laughs> it would be really scary. Because you got to think, not only is he probably would be like the most talented player in the league, but 
he also has that chip on the shoulder that a lot of players today don't have. A lot of players today don't have that kind of like pride to want to take out the competition. A lot of these guys are buddy-buddy. Like, that's the reality. So I think he would have struggled in terms of the game being more three-point oriented. But somebody like him, I think that's that great. If he needs to shoot threes, I think he would have figured out a way to do it consistently. Um, and, of course, he would have had his team adjusted to playing whatever style of play is suited for the era. So um, Shannon Fry actually came out and said he don't think because a lot of people were saying MJ would average 40, 50 in this era. Shannon Fry said he doesn't believe that. He said MJ wouldn't average 40 in today's NBA. I disagree. He was pouring in 30-plus a night against tougher defenses in a slower offensive era. So you put him in today's NBA with more shot attempts, um, faster faster game, more possessions, the, the floor is spaced out more so he can get to the cup. I think Michael Jordan would average like 42, to be honest. I'm not even lying. <laughs> like, that's just my honest opinion. But all in all, man, this is a great documentary. I really liked um, how they gave everybody their individual floor to tell their backstory. Um, from Steve Kerr talking about how him and Jordan could kind of relate on the thing with their father, even though they never really spoke about it. Uh, the, both of their fathers were murdered, you know, so that's something they can relate on. And when you're going to battle with somebody, you know what I mean? If you can relate on something that sensitive and that close to home, that's only going to bring you closer. And even Tempers Flair, they got into it. You know what I mean? They had some fisticuffs, but the shit resulted in them, you know, being tighter as teammates. And shit, I've experienced that back in the day. I didn't got down with a couple of my homies and we didn't became closer after we fought. I don't know what it is, but it's like you get a newfound respect for the person once they stand up to you and you see that, you know, they're willing to go just as hard for their cause as you are. So 10 out of 10. I get this documentary at A+. Plus. Um, I suggest it for anybody who hasn't watched it. Um, but one thing I didn't know, I didn't know MJ retired three separate times. His ass didn't know what he wanted to do. <laughs> like, he retired the first time, then he retired after the, the championship in 98, came back, played for the Wizards, retired again. Like, he loves the game. So being that he retired that many times, man, the door might still be open for MJ to come back and play. <laughs> um, so let's go ahead and move on to our halftime uh, segment to where we just play the sound of the week. Um, unfortunately, this sound of the week isn't something that is happy. You know what I mean? I, sometimes I like to play lighthearted things on the sound of the week, but this is necessary. Uh, this is Steven Jackson, and this is him at a, um, a rally, protest rally, just speaking on the death of his good friend, his twin, George Floyd, and just um, what the experience is like to be a black person. And just it, it, when I heard this, man, it just it, it hit home because not only is it true, but you can hear the passion in his voice. Um, and I just I, my heart and condolences go out to the Floyd family, Stephen Jackson, just him trying to he's, he's had a successful year. You know, what I mean, with the podcast with all the smoke uh, with Matt Barnes is doing great. That's one of my favorite podcasts to, to listen and watch. Um, they really get down to the nitty gritty and they inspire me. You know what I mean? So. Uh, this is Steven Jackson. This is him at the rally. Um, and then right after this, we'll go ahead and move on to quarter number three, where we're talking about the ESPN list of the top 74 players of all time. I'm, I'm here because they're not going to demean the character of Greg or George Floyd. That's right. That's right. My twin. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when police do things that they know that's wrong, the first thing they try to do is cover it up and bring up your background right. to make it seem like the bullshit that they did, that they did was worthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When was murder ever worth it? But if it's a black man, it's approved. You can't tell me when that man had his knee on my brother's neck 
taking his life away with his hand in his pocket, that that smirk on his face didn't say I'm protected. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's what it's saying. Imagine this. A man growing up in an area where the odds are already against him. Trying to figure it out. You know, they say experience is the best teacher. Mm -hmm. So you're going to make mistakes. That's right. Everybody going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. You make some bad decisions. It happens. We all make bad decisions, right? We make bad decisions. Even being successful, I've made bad decisions, mm -hmm. right? Very true. You get to a point where you make a bad decision and you end up suffering for it, going mm -hmm. through time. Sit down, okay? You got to go through that. They say you got to rehabilitate yourself. Mm -hmm. You rehabilitate yourself. You have relationships with people where you're able to get away and try to better your life. That's right. Right? Mm -hmm. Because you've been in the system. All they tell you, the only way you can get out is if you re rehabilitate yourself. That's right. Mm -hmm. And when you rehabilitate yourself, you get out and you still treat it like a criminal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So stay with me now. Picture that. You get an opportunity to move away from the environment that brought you down. Mm -hmm. You get away, you be successful, you get a job, your life starts turning in the right direction. Mm -hmm. You stumble a little bit again. It's not worth your life, though. Right, that's it. You stumble a little bit again, and you end up on the ground with a knee in your neck, screaming your, screaming your mama's name, screaming your kid's name. Going to the bathroom on yourself. Imagine if he was white. Ponder that for a minute. Imagine if he was white. We are oppressed. We are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights, but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. I said, we are tired of game play. I see you either do justice by us or let us go. America is in trouble. And I say, God is about to wipe this nation from the face of the earth. Now listen, I'm not crazy, I'm not drunk. How long do you think a nation can do evil and not face the judgment and the wrath of God? If the American Negro had not been present in America, I am convinced history of the American labor movement would be much more edifying than it is. It is a terrible thing for an entire people to surrender to the notion that one-ninth of its population is beneath them. And until that moment, until the moment comes, when we, the Americans, we, the American people, are able to accept the fact 
that I have to accept, for example, that my ancestors are both white and black. That on that continent, we are trying to forge a new identity for which we need each other. That I am not a ward of America. I am not an object of missionary charity. I am one of the people who built the country. Until this moment, there is scarcely any hope for the American dream. Because the people who are denied participation in it, by their very presence, will wreck it. And if that happens, it's a very grave moment for the West. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome to the second half. We are in the third quarter and we are talking about the top 74 players of all time in NBA history. Um, Your favorite players are probably in this list, but there are some guys who didn't make the cut that kind of surprised me a little bit. And I'm going to talk about that as well. Uh, We'll kind of go through the list. I'll tell you some of the names that I'll move around, some of the ones that I probably had a problem with or just an issue of the the placement. But overall, I'll be 100 percent honest. This list isn't bad. Um, They kind of got it right for the most part. I'll say it's about 85, 90% correct. So it's just a small portion that we'll talk about that I want to change around. But the biggest issue I have with the names that are left off the list. So just some notable names that didn't make the cut. Um, I don't know how some of these guys missed the cut when you look at some of the names that are on the list. Um, And I kind of question, like, what what is the criteria? Is it just based off talent? So... I'll go ahead and tell you what they said. According to ESPN, ESPN expert panel voted on thousands of head-to-head matchups, taking into consideration both total career value and peak performance. So, and the reason why it's 74 is because there's been 74 years of uh, existence for the NBA. So, yes, it's a weird number, but I understand why uh, they did it now after they explained it. But just in terms of peak performance and, and just overall resume, there are some players that probably should have been on this list that were left out. Um, the first snub, I'll say, is Klay Thompson. I don't know how Klay Thompson isn't on the list. He's probably top three shooter of all time in NBA history, three-time NBA champion, um, five-time All-Star. Like, you have players, like, for instance, Damian Lillard is ranked number 72. I love Damian, and I think Damian Lillard is a better player than Klay Thompson, but his resume is not better. And Klay Thompson is a player who does it on both ends of the floor, And the only reason his individual numbers probably aren't as high as like a Damian Lillard is because he's had to play with like two of the greatest players of all time. So I think that when you look at stuff like that, um, you you definitely have to take wins into consideration as well as individual performance and just some of the games he's had. Like Klay Thompson has scored 37 points in a quarter before. Klay Thompson went 13 for 13 in that quarter and 9 for 9 from 3. 
Like, I don't give a fuck. Nobody in the top 74 has ever done that. So he got to get in on that alone. Uh, next name, that was a snub on the list, but I kind of get it. Derrick Rose, he just dealt with injuries, but I think anybody can agree that peak Derrick Rose, as a matter of fact, Rip Hamilton just said it on the All The Smoke podcast. He said that peak Derrick Rose is probably the best player he's ever played with. And that's a big statement because he played with Chauncey Billers, Rasheed Wallace. He won a championship with the Pistons. So um, Derrick Rose, I think, should have made the cut just considering how impactful he is to the game of basketball. Derrick Rose is arguably the most athletic point guard of all time, along with Russell Westbrook. And Russell was on that list. So I feel like you had to throw Derrick on there. He has an MVP trophy. I think he's the youngest MVP award winner ever. Um, And then another guy that missed the list, Kyrie Irving. Kyrie is a wizard with the basketball, one of the best ball handlers of all time, elite scorer, scores efficiently, is an NBA champion. Um, I thought he would be on this list just because, like I said, Russell Westbrook is on it, so I don't know how you not have Kyrie on the list. Um, Because, I, I, like I said, I love Russell, but I don't know if he's... Let, let me look and see where he's ranked, actually. I have They have Russell Westbrook ranked number 42. So with Kyrie not even being on the list, I don't know if you can say Russell Westbrook is that much better than Kyrie, but, I mean, hey, <laughs> it's according to ESPN. So that's what I'm saying. My biggest issue is with the players who didn't make the list, not the guys who are on it. Like, the placement of the people who are on it, I understand. But Paul George didn't make the list. I can kind of understand that. Um, he's still writing his story. Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony is a top 74 player. I don't care what anybody says. Nobody, at, at one point in time, they were saying Carmelo Anthony is the best scorer of all time just because of his skill set. He can post you up. He can shoot the three. He can put the ball on the floor. He can finish above the rim. He can get to the foul line. Like, there was nothing Carmelo couldn't do in his prime. And only thing he doesn't have is a championship, essentially. But Charles Barkley doesn't have a championship. So if we're just looking at individual performance and just impact on the floor in terms of skills, you got to throw Carmelo in there. Another guy that missed the list, Brandon Roy. Uh, Brandon Roy is one of my favorite shooting guards of all time. I think if he would have stayed healthy, Brandon Roy would have been the next best shooting guard behind Kobe. Um, Behind Kobe and D-Wade. He would have been the next guy in line. It would have been him and James Harden, I think, taking over the league at that two-guard spot. Um, Brandon Roy is a beast. He just dealt with a lot of injuries, and his career was cut short, so I can understand that. Uh, Grant Hill is another guy who dealt with injuries, but still had a Hall of Fame career. Um, average double digits mostly every year he touched the floor. Um, so I, I feel like Grant Hill could have made the cut. Yao Ming is another guy. I was just talking to my boy Pete about Yao Ming and about how underrated he is when people look at his career. And it's just because he didn't play a lot of seasons. He dealt with injuries because he's fucking seven foot six. But Yao Ming is one of the greatest big men of all time. Soft touch. He can knock down a mid-range shot. He was coordinated, not just a seven foot six you know, giant that just was clumsy. He actually had coordination. He can score the ball. He can rebound and block shots. Uh, Yao Ming definitely should have been on this list. But even somebody, aside from Yao, Dwight Howard. I don't know how Dwight Howard is not on this list. Dwight Howard legitimately was the best center in the league for a long time during his career. He led his team to the championship and all doing that without having a, a real offensive game. He was... Dominant on the boards, a dominant defensive force. They basically just put three-point shooters all around him with Jameer Nelson, Hito Turkoglu, Rashard Lewis. Um, they just spread at the floor, and he just controlled the paint by himself. Uh, so I, I think Dwight Howard, just for as dominant as he was during his prime, he has to be a uh, top 74. And then the last snub I got on here is Chris Bosh. Um, 
I can see Chris Bosh being left off, but he still is a champion. Um, he had dominant statistical seasons before he joined the uh, Miami Heat. And even on Miami, he was a really solid player. So I was kind of confused with those guys not being on here. But again, you kind of got to always put the old heads on here that <laughs> are like the pioneers of the game. You know you're going to see Bob Cousy on here and shit like this. But um, I'll go through some of the names. We'll start from the bottom, and then we'll work our way up. So at 74, Artis Gilmore. 73 is Dikembe Mutombo. Damian Lillard is 72. Bob Lanier is 71. Tony Parker is 70. Bernard King is 69. Pete Maravich is 68. Alex English is 67. Dave Cowens is 66. Pau Gasol is 65. Earl Monroe is 64. Alonzo Mourning is 63. Dennis Rodman is 62. And Robert Parrish is 61. So Dennis Rodman is somebody who benefited from playing with a lot of great players. Dennis Rodman is essentially the 90s version of Draymond Green. That, that's, that's how I look at him. Tough player, did the dirty work, does the things that nobody wants to do. But Dennis Rodman is not going to go get you a bucket. You know what I mean? Dennis Rodman, I feel like if you're a top 74 player, you can't be one-dimensional. And his one dimension was defense. So nobody on this entire list just did one thing. So I think him being on here is kind of a legacy thing. Um, but I'm not disrespecting Dennis Rodman by any means because I know how pivotal he was to those teams. They don't win those championships without him. But at the same time, I think he is a little less deserving of that placement than some of the other guys that I named. Like, I will put Carmelo. I will put Klay Thompson. I will probably put Dwight Howard on here before I put um, Dennis Rodman because all those guys were number one options who were keyed in on defensively every night from the opposing team. All Dennis Rodman really had to come in and do was play defense and rebound. I've seen games where Dennis Rodman had 20-plus rebounds and no points. Like, so I understand how pivotal he was, but I don't know if I can call him a top 75 player, being that he's a one-dimensional. Um, scrolling up, I got – this is one kind of, like, surprised me. I have – they have Manu Ginobili ranked number 58, but they had Tony Parker ranked number 70. I don't know if Man how is Manu Ginobili ranked ahead of Tony Parker. And Tony Parker was MVP candidate, second best player on that Spurs team for most of their run. So I, I think Ginobili was a beast, don't get me wrong, but I would have swapped them. I might have had Ginobili at 70 and Tony Parker at 58. Uh, but you got Bob McAdoo at 59, Willis Reed at 60, Clyde Drexler at 57, Ray Allen at 56, Vince Carter at 55, Paul Pierce at 54, Gary Payton at 53, T-Mac at 52, and James Worthy at 51. So this little 51 through 60 is kind of nice. Gary Payton, T-Mac, Paul Pierce, Vince Carter, Ray Allen, Clyde Drexler, James Worthy. Like, these are big-name players, and these aren't just any names, you know? So for them to be that low just kind of tells you who's above them. But like I said, I think some of these guys can be a little higher. I probably would have had Paul Pierce a little bit higher. Um, no, nah, Paul Pierce is actually where he's supposed to be. <laughs> you know, it's funny, too, because I remember not too long ago, he was talking about his career was better than Dwayne Wade. According to ESPN, that's not the case because Dwayne Wade is ranked 26 and they got Paul Pierce at 54. So I guess that solves that. But um, I think Paul Pierce was one of those players who came in at the right time. If Paul Pierce played in this era, I don't know if he would have been as good with his lack of athleticism and he wasn't a knockdown shooter, but I, I think Paul Pierce, just being that shot creator he was, he would have found a way, but I just think he his skill set was better suited for the era that he came in. Um, and then Ray Allen. Ray Allen and Vince Carter, I get them being 55 and 56, 
Um, Vince Carter was ranked kind of high to me considering he never won a championship. But I also understand him being ranked that high just from his cultural impact, just from I think Vince Carter is the best dunker of all time. So I guess that kind of gets you ranked a little higher just because, you know what I mean, he was dominant in one specific area of basketball. You can say he was the best. So let's look at 50 through 41. So Wes Unsell, RIP, we just talked about him at the top of the episode. Reggie Miller at 49, Bill Walton at 48, George Gervin at 47, Dominique Wilkins at 46, Anthony Davis at 45, Elvin Hayes at 44, Rick Barry at 43, Russell Westbrook at 42, Bob Cousy at 41. Bob Cousy is not better than Russell Westbrook. Let's move on. <laughs> Chris Ball, Walt Frazier, Bob Pettit, Patrick Ewing, Kevin McHale, Jason Kidd, George Mikan, John Havlicek, James Harden, and Isaiah Thomas. That's 31 through 40. Um, Chris Paul being ranked number 40. Um, I feel like I would have had him a little higher. I think Chris Paul is better than Jason Kidd, in my opinion. Um, and I actually just had this conversation not too long ago. I was asking if Chris Paul is a top five point guard um, just in NBA history because he gets the knock because he doesn't have the championship uh, ring yet. But I think Chris Paul is one of the best point guards in NBA history. He is the ideal point guard. He does everything a point guard is supposed to do. Um, and I definitely would have had him ranked higher on this list. I think Chris Paul... You probably can make the case he's better than Steve Nash. I know they wouldn't put him over Steve Nash because he has the two MVPs, but um, I probably would have had him right after Steve Nash and Isaiah Thomas. Uh, But Jason Kidd being ranked 35 kind of surprised me, but I know what he brings to the table. We got that championship that kind of helps his resume too. But I was kind of surprised to see Steve Nash ranked above Isaiah Thomas. Like I thought Isaiah would be ranked like top 20, top 25 just for the legacy. Um, But that's why I like this list. This list wasn't one that like the other ones to where you see everybody that played before the nineties rank within the top 20 and then everybody else comes after. Um, I, I like how they did it. They made it fair. They actually took into consideration the, you know, level of competition played. And I, I think the criteria that they use is really good. So we're almost done. Let's go ahead and move along so we can, before we run out of time, uh, 30 through 21, I got Scotty Pippen at 21, Elgin Baylor at 22, Charles Barkley at 23, David Robinson at 24, Kawhi Leonard at 25, uh, Dwayne Wade at 26, Giannis Antetokounmpo at 27, John Stockton at 28, Allen Iverson at 29, Steve Nash at 30. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo being number 27 kind of surprised me. Um, I don't know if he's done it at a dominant level for enough years yet, but I do think if you put Giannis in any era, he would have been dominant, so I kind of understand it. Um, but I just felt like he would need more on his resume. He has an MVP trophy, don't get me wrong. He might have two, to be honest, after this year. Um, but I just didn't think they would give him that respect that early. I know he's that nice, but I didn't think that ESPN would acknowledge it. Uh, he's right behind Dwayne Wade, and then they still have Kawhi Leonard over him. Um, I don't know. I guess you put Kawhi Leonard over him just because of the wins, but at the same time, Giannis has an MVP trophy. Uh, David Robinson at 24, Charles Barkley at 23. I don't have an issue with that. Scottie Pippen at 21. That looks about right. So now we are in the top 20. So KG at 20, at 20. Dirk Nowitzki at 19, Moses Malone at 18, Carl Malone at 17, Jerry West at 16, Dr. J at 15, Kevin Durant at 14, Stephen Curry at 13, Hakeem Olajuwon at 12, Oscar Robinson at 11. That looks about right to me. <laughs> I don't have any issue with that. Uh, Stephen Curry and KD at 13 and 14 is pretty cool to see. Um, like I said, them getting that respect because they really are next level scores and knockdown shooters. And Kevin Durant is unlike something that we've ever seen. So... I'm okay with that. Uh, like I said, I think most of my issue was just who didn't make the list, but everything in the top 20 is pretty accurate. I even think this top 10 is is pretty 
pretty good. Michael Jordan at one, LeBron at two, Kareem at three, Bill Russell at four, Magic at five, Will Chamberlain at six, Larry Bird at seven, Tim Duncan at eight, Kobe at nine, and Shaq at ten. I know Kobe at nine looks kind of crazy, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, Tim Duncan is ranked above him. They both have the same amount of rings, but Tim Duncan, I don't think, ever had a bad year in his career. They made the playoffs damn near. I think they made it every single year he played. Um, So, of course, he has to be ranked above Kobe in that aspect. Uh, Larry Bird, Larry Bird's stats are crazy. And, of course, he gets that legacy on top of that, and he has the three championships, so I understand it. I think Kobe might be better than Larry, but I understand them putting Larry there. Will Chamberlain at six, of course, Magic at five. Yeah, everything else looks about right. I think Kareem being a number three even makes a lot of sense because he gets disrespected a lot. When they're talking about the greatest player of all time, you can make the case even for him being number one. So, again, I think this list was was really cool. It's probably one of the best all-time lists I've ever seen, and ESPN definitely got it right this time. So, let's go ahead and transition into quarter number four, and we'll wrap things up with um, some college players. As they enter the NBA, we'll talk about who will be the best sleepers in this year's draft. So, let's go ahead and talk about it. NBA draft is still scheduled to happen. We just don't know when it's going to take place. But when it happens, I got five players who whatever team they get drafted by, I think they have an I think they have a chance to make a huge impact in the NBA. And these guys are not really like big household names. They played well in college, but you know how sometimes you have those players that kind of fly under the radar. You know, you have the big name guys in the lottery, LaMelo Ball, Obi Toppin, Uh, James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, like the list goes on for the big name guys. But these gentlemen that I'm talking about, I think they have an ability to make a big impact, although they may not be household names. So um, I got a point guard, shooting guard, small forward, shooting guard, and I guess power forward slash small forward. So we'll start with the first one. Um, I'm talking about Iowa State sophomore point guard Tyrese Halliburton. So he stands six foot five, 175 pounds. Um... This guy can do it all. He's like a Swiss Army knife. Um, and what, I, what I'll do, too, I'll kind of preface it. So I'll tell you where they're projected to go. I'll talk about their numbers and how they played in college. And then I'll give a best and worst case scenario for each player. So Tyrese uh, averaged 15 points last year, six and a half assists, six rebounds, two and a half steals. That is a shit ton of steals. Um, he shot 50% from the field, 42% from three, 82% from the free throw line. So He's still projected to go lottery. Um, This isn't a guy that's flying too far under the radar, but I haven't heard a lot about him being like a a big-time player. It's almost like he's getting drafted high just based off production, but I actually think he has a chance to make an impact in the next level um, just because of what he brings to the table. Uh, Really versatile, tall, 6'5". Just watching him play, he has really, really good vision. Um, Just the passes that he makes, he sees the play before it happens. He has a really unorthodox shot, but he shoots it at a 42% clip. Um, and kind of judging that that's not a fluke, shot 82% from the free throw line, too. I always say the sign of a really good shooter is a good free throw shooter as well. So I think his best case scenario, in my mind, he reminds me of like Alonzo Ball, just because his height, six foot five, but 15, six, and six is a lot similar to what Alonzo did in college. 
Um, and Lonzo shot 40% from three in college. So did he. Um, if anything, he probably was more disruptive on the defensive end, averaging two and a half steals. Tyrese that I'm talking about. But um, I think his worst-case scenario is, is pretty bad. <laughs> his worst-case scenario, I think, is like a Denzel Valentine. And the reason why I say that is because he's not as athletic as Alonzo Ball. Um, he's really crafty. Uh, his shot, like I said, is unorthodox. It's more of a catch-and-shoot shot, not really off the dribble. But he can hit it if left open. Um, but the reason why I say Denzel Valentine is because he, he's not like the most athletic guy. Um, he kind of relies on craftiness and just kind of high IQ, uh, like Lonzo Ball as well. And Denzel Valentine's a high IQ player too, but Denzel Valentine wasn't able to adjust to the athleticism in the league, and that shot started falling at a less effective clip as it did in college. Um, and, you know, he's probably going to be out the league in a few years. So I would like to see Tyrese have more of a Lonzo Ball-type impact, but he's a Swiss Army knife, and he does a little bit of everything. So once he touches the floor in the NBA, I think he'll find a way to make an impact pretty, pretty soon. Moving on to the next guy I got, Josh Green, shooting guard from Arizona. He stands six foot six. He has an NBA body already. He's 210 pounds, and he was actually a freshman. So imagine what he was doing to motherfuckers in high school. <laughs> he, uh, he averaged 12 points last year in his freshman season, a uh, little over two and a half assists, a uh, little over four and a half rebounds, one and a half steals, shot 42% from the field, 36% from three, and 78% from the free throw line. So not a bad shooter, um, but not a good one either. Kind of streaky. The, the key to his game is athleticism and size. When he gets to the rack, he can finish above the rim like few others. Um, right now, he's projected to go mid to late first round. But this guy is, uh, if you haven't seen Josh Green highlights, just type it in and just look at how athletic he is. And I got another guy on here, too, that is a, a freak athlete. But Josh Green playing in the Pac-12, um, I think he went against some, some really good competition that you can take and apply that to say he might be able to do that on the next level. Um, he, I actually think he has a brighter future than Nico Mannion, who was his point guard, who also went one and done, who's projected to get drafted a little higher. I think Josh Green needs to tighten up his handle. That seems to be like his biggest weakness. But if he can get that figured out, he already um, has a streaky shot. He can make the three-point shot. Um, he's shown the ability to shoot off the dribble a little bit, but not a lot. But his biggest thing is going to the rim and just finishing with authority. So I think his best-case scenario, just based off his size and his style of play, Jason Richardson. Um, if he can tighten up that handle, he'll be able to create a shot kind of like Jason Richardson could. But if he doesn't tighten up that handle, his career is going to be more of like a Gerald Green. I think he'll be a guy coming off the bench, finishing highlight plays, will have some big scoring games, but won't really bring much else to the table aside from scoring. Um, but Josh Green is an exciting young player. I wasn't really too high on him when he first came to college, but after the end of his season, I, I think he is one of those potential guys that can have a really big impact in the NBA. So I have talked about two of my five already. We're going to move on to the third gentleman. Um, and the third guy that I'm talking about is Sadiq Bey. He is a small forward for Villanova. Stands six foot eight, 215 pounds. And he was also a sophomore, just like uh, Tyrese Halliburton. So he had a really big year uh, this year. Played really well. He averaged 16 points for Villanova. 2.4 assists, almost five rebounds. Not a lot of steals and blocks, but his value is man-to-man -man defense, just like all those Villanova cats. Villanova creates NBA role players. Mikael Bridges, uh, Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, Eric Paschal, uh, Dante DiVincenzo, 
you know, I mean, the list goes on. Randy Foy, if you want to go back to the earlier years, they create NBA role players, and I think this guy has a chance to be a really good one. Um, I think his best-case scenario is Chris Middleton. Not really super athletic, but he can shoot the lights out. He shot 45% from three this year on 5.6 attempts per game. So that, if you're not aware, that's, that's crazy in college. That's a lot of attempts, and that's a very high percentage. Um, and he also shot 48% from the field. Uh, from free throw line, he shot 77%, and right now he's projected to go late first round. Now, his biggest issue is going to be creating for himself. Uh, that's why I think he can be a high-level role player because he won't be asked to do that if that's his role. Um, but just in terms of hitting an open shot, he can do that at a high level. Um, and like I said, he can guard really well. He can switch. Villanova, the way they play defense, they switch out a lot. So he's a versatile defender. He's going to be able to guard um, guards on the wing, but he's also going to be able to defend, you know, big men down low. Not necessarily a center, but he can guard on and, you know, switch onto a four because he does have some size, 215 pounds. Um, he's not a small guy, but I think his worst case scenario is Quincy Pondexter. Quincy Pondexter went to Washington. He can shoot the ball coming out of college, but not really want to create his own shot. And when that shot wasn't falling consistently in the NBA, he didn't really have much value. Um, his lack of athleticism also hurt him more than most people probably anticipated. And I can see that happening with Sadiq Bey, too. So um, hopefully he can just, uh, you know, continue to work on his game, tighten up his handle. And I think he's another one of those guys that can be a knockdown shooter and just a, a, a key role player for like a championship caliber team. So I got two more guys left. Um, and then we're going to go ahead and play the uh, ISO spotlight song and get up out of here. But right now, man, this guy I'm a big fan of, Cassius Stanley. He is a shooting guard from Duke. Stands 6'6", six six, 195 pounds. He has good NBA size already at the two-guard spot. He is uh, coming off his freshman season. He averaged nearly 13 points. Not really passing the ball too much. He only averaged one assist, but he did average five rebounds, which is pretty good for a shooting guard. Um, and this guy is a freak athlete. This is the best athlete in the draft, without a doubt. Nobody is jumping like him. Um, it almost looks like it looks Photoshop when you see some of the, <laughs> the dunks that he does. He did a dunk in high school one time that I was like, the fact that he would even attempt that. He went to Sierra Canyon, for you guys who aren't aware. But the the, the fucking balls to even attempt a dunk that like, like that, and not only did he attempt it, but he flushed it down with authority. Um I think this guy has a bright future ahead of him. He has a lot of potential. Uh, he shot 36% from three-point line, which is a lot better than I expected him to shoot, um, especially because he didn't really come in with a, uh, a reputation as a shooter. So the fact that he showed that he can, you know, stretch his game out to the three-point line, already having that world-class athleticism, um, I think he has a chance to do a lot of good things in the NBA, especially because it, it more so suits his game. Him playing at Duke, you got to think Vernon Carey is inside, Trey uh, Jones is more of like a facilitator. So they didn't really have anybody who was like a shot creator on the wing. It was kind of him. And he was raw offensively coming into the, the college season. So for him to, you know, put up numbers like these that are pretty solid, he shot nearly 50% from the field and a decent clip from the three. I think he can just work on that, build on it, continue to tighten up his handle because that might, again, be his biggest deficiency just like uh, Josh Green. I think he, he can be special. I think the, the way I feel about him is how I felt about Zach Levine when I watched him at UCLA. The size is about the same. They both jump out the gym. They both can knock down the three-point shot. I think Zach Levine was probably just a better shooter and a slightly better ball handler at the time. But um, I think Cassius Stanley, he's not, being, he's not projected to go first round, but he's one of those guys that 
can do really good in the pre-draft workouts and stuff like that if they do actually have it, obviously because of the coronavirus. I think he has a chance to improve his stock tremendously just because his athleticism is is the best in the draft. So right now he's projected to go second round, but I think he's one of those guys that's going to surprise some people. I think he'll sneak into the first round by the time the draft comes around. Um, and then the final guy I got on here, oh, no, I forgot. Worst case scenario for Cassius Stanley is Malik Monk. <laughs> Malik Monk is one of those guys, too, who came into to the NBA, top 10 pick, went crazy in college, scored a whole lot of points, showed he can shoot, showed he can jump out the gym, but he hasn't been able to put it together in the league. So I think Cassius Stanley could, that can happen if he doesn't land in the right scenario to where he his game isn't really complimented well. And if he lands in a bad situation, I think it could, you know, jeopardize his career. So hopefully he lands in a good spot, you know, where he can have some some leadership to teach him how to hone in on some of his deficiencies. Because I think he has a chance to be a really good player in the NBA. And then the final player I got, I've spoke about him on here before, Jaden McDaniels. Um, he's slim, 200 pounds, but he stands six foot nine. He'll probably be a small forward in the league unless he puts some more weight on. Um, but this guy can do it all, too. Really good shot blocker. If you look at his highlights, he has some mean blocks this season. Uh, really tall and lanky. He plays like he's about 6'11", but he averaged 13 points, two assists, nearly six rebounds, almost a steal, and almost a, a block and a half. Could have shot the ball better. He only shot 40% from the field and 34% from the three-point line, but he did shoot 76% from the free-throw line, which isn't too bad. Um, and at Washington, he did share the floor with Isaiah Stewart, who is – a big man who kind of held down the paint, so probably wasn't as much floor spacing in Washington. But overall, man, I, I think he has a chance to be really good too. Whenever you come to the league and you're versatile, you can find a way to get onto the floor because you can contribute in a multitude of ways. So his best case scenario is Jonathan Isaac, in my opinion. They both aren't primary scorers, but they do a little bit of everything. And defense is probably where they make their most money in terms of shot blocking. Being good help side defenders because neither one of them are like the biggest guys, they're both kind of skinny. But Jonathan Isaac has put on some weight since coming into the league. So that's helped them tremendously. Uh, and he was enjoying the best year of his career before he went down with injury with the Orlando Magic. So I can see Jaden McDaniels having a similar type of impact. But his worst case scenario will be like an Anthony Randolph. Anthony Randolph was another one of those guys that was similar build, tall and lanky, can block shots, can put the ball in the floor a little bit. But after he got into the league, he didn't really develop much. That three-point shot didn't improve. And that's something Jaden McDaniels has to work on, you know, scoring more efficiently. If he can do that, he doesn't even have to be an elite scorer. If he can just finish plays, he can have a really long career as well. And he's one of those complimentary players who can, you know, make a team, a championship caliber squad, kind of like how Lamar Odom was with the Los Angeles Lakers. So, again, I got Jaden McDaniels, uh, best-case scenario, Jonathan Isaac, worst-case scenario, Anthony Randolph. Uh, Cassius Stanley, best case scenario, Zach Levine, worst case scenario, Malik Monk, Sadiq Bey, best case scenario, Chris Middleton, worst case scenario, Quincy Pondexter, Josh Green, best case scenario, Jason Richardson, worst case scenario, Gerald Green, and I didn't even realize that the same name too, <laughs> and then Tyrese Halliburton, best case scenario, Lonzo Ball, worst case scenario, Denzel Valentine, so that is a wrap, you guys. It's been another wonderful episode of the ISO Podcast. I appreciate you guys for sticking around and tuning in. One thing I do want to say um, before we get out of here, pertaining to this topic, too, of players entering the draft, I've been seeing a lot of talk about Lonzo Ball being a top prospect. I've seen some talk about Anthony Edwards being a top prospect. I've even seen talks about Obi Toppin being a number one prospect. 
the best player in this draft and should be the consensus number one pick is James Wiseman. I think all of the top guards will struggle with efficiency somewhat, whether it be, you know, shooting low percentages or turning the ball over a lot. But I think James Wiseman is the easiest pick and he's is clearly the best player in this draft. So I wouldn't overthink it. That's just something I wanted to say because I, I haven't been seeing him get the recognition that I think he deserves. But whatever team gets him in the first round, they're going to be excited because I think he has an he has a chance to be like an Anthony Davis type prospect, and he's seven foot one. So before we get out of here, I'm gonna go ahead and play the ISO Spotlight track of the week. Um, I'm excited to play this track. This one is from one of my childhood friends, my boy. Uh, he goes by the name of Snoopy Harvard. He just dropped this uh, project called Harvard University in 2020. Um, shit's been dope. I listen to the listen to it pretty often now. It's in my rotation. Um, a couple standout tracks on there for me. I like Killers. Uh, pressure, all I want to do, talk to me, uh, shit. That's it's only seven tracks. That's damn near all of them, but I fuck with them all. Um, but yeah, this track that I'm gonna play is called "All I Want to Do." It's uh, featuring X Five, and it's also a um, visual out for this track already too. Um, he put a visual out last week, I believe, and um, he's also he's been doing a lot of work, man. He got a lot of videos out. He just put out a vlog uh, called "Welcome to Westmont." episode one that aired a month ago so go check all that out man he's putting out a lot of content making a lot of noise in la and that's my nigga man so i'm proud to see him doing good and i want to just keep keep seeing him flourishing man so once again this is snoopy harvard uh featuring x5 this track is called all i want to do and uh thank you guys once again for tuning in to yet another episode of the iso podcast and i will see you guys next week so until next time thank you for tuning in to the iso podcast the number one podcast for true basketball fans Slime with a cool ride and a cool. I said I wouldn't make it, but I pulled the wrong, trapped out the vacant. He was dead wrong, nigga should've waited. Watch two-tone, nigga, this the latest. All I want you to do is love me, baby. All I wanna do is love you, baby. 30 rounds in this body, they like you crazy. Say we wouldn't make it, started in the basement. Came up from the bottom, artificial, no fake. Brother took 12, tough the nigga not to stress. Cut 
that hoe up. I heard she diving in the package. My dog take you down. Hit your corner like we practice. Sending out of town. Put a struggle up in the back of the I will make it, but I put a wrong. I checked out that bacon. That nigga was dead wrong. That nigga should've waited. Watch two tones, nigga. This the latest. All I want you to do is love me, baby.